2: LAist Studios.
0: You're listening to Imperfect Paradise from LAist Studios. I'm your host, Antonia Cerejito. This is the final part of our four-part series, People vs. Karen. In the last episode, Katie Sorensen's criminal case headed to trial.
1: Somebody's going to learn from this. If it's not her, it'll be somebody else.
0: Somebody will see this and say, hey, you know, think twice before you post some crazy lies online and Katie was found guilty. As part of his legal strategy, the prosecutor had argued that Katie was a, quote, momfluencer gone wrong. In this episode, we explore what exactly is a momfluencer and how do some women go from using their social media following to make money to then spreading lies.
2: I think it's really easy for mothers to disseminate these messages in ways that, like, screaming men on 4chan cannot. That's
0: coming up on Imperfect Paradise from Alea Studios. The idea of what a good mother is is really central to this story. When Katie Sorensen calls the police to report an attempted kidnapping, she believes she's being a good mother. When Sadie Martinez is falsely accused of attempted kidnapping, part of why she's so offended is that being a mom is so core to her identity. When Katie is sentenced to a month in jail, Eddie Martinez has mixed feelings because as a father, he knows how difficult it will be for her children to be without their mom for a month. But he also feels like mothers of color are imprisoned all the time. I wanted to talk to Elias correspondent Emily Guerin about this because it was her curiosity about the idea of the good mother that actually brought her to this story in the first place. Hi, Emily. Hi, Antonia. So, yeah, Emily, tell me a little bit more about what got you into this story.
1: Yeah, I think my interest in momfluencers started after my son was born in February 2021, and I was spending a lot of time on Instagram. I don't Mm -hmm. love that, but it was true because basically when you're breastfeeding a child, you kind of like only have one hand. And so like all I could do was scroll. And I was getting sent all these targeted ads and then also just like accounts for new influencers I'd never really seen before. And a lot of them were women and they had all this advice about parenting and being a mom.
0: So, what were more specifically can can you tell me more about these mom influencers? What were they like? Yeah, what sorts of information were they sharing? Well, they were all like
1: regular women, but they also had like a lot of it seemed like they had a lot of expertise to share despite not really having like obvious credentials. And they mm-hmm. would talk about all these like very specific things, like sleep training or introducing solid food or breastfeeding or like potty training, like these very specific elements of raising a child
0: do you did you have a favorite?
1: I found the most useful to be this one called Solid Starts, which is like they're all about teaching you how to give your kid solid food for the first time because it's actually like a huge deal when your kid goes from just like breastfeeding or having bottles to eating food. It's like kind of scary. And you're like, oh, my God, are they going to choke on this blueberry? And so they like tell you in this this account, like how to cut apples for when your kid is six months old or um, what to do about like watermelon seeds or like how to give them meat and things like that. And they had pictures. So that one was actually super helpful. It sounds like um, it's actually
0: very useful, (laughs) but it sounds very useful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, though, the thing I noticed that they all had in common was that all these women were like portraying themselves as good mothers. And they were Mm -hmm. sort of telling me like, oh, you can be one, too. And like, I can teach you. That was just interesting to me, and I wanted to learn more about how this sort of um, class of, like, mom-expert mom influencers came about. So I tracked down a writer named Sarah Peterson. She wrote a book about mom-influencers called Mom Influenced, inside the maddening, picture-perfect world of mommy-influencer culture.
2: Mom-influencers stem from mommy-bloggers, another, you know, both mom-influencer and mommy-blogger are pretty gross terms, (laughs) but um, yeah, so mommy-bloggers sort of proliferated in the early to mid-aughts. Some of them were really breaking down barriers in terms of writing about postpartum depression and the decidedly unsunny sides of motherhood that up until then were not really mainstream sources of conversation. I would say that early mommy bloggers were really, their bread and butter was writing and personal essaying. And mom influencers were really just imagery, like imagery is everything. So I think that's also interesting to see how what started as a sort of vulnerable speaking truth to motherhood sort of thing has turned into a shiny picture perfect version of motherhood.
0: It's so interesting that it started as this more like unvarnished look at at like the tough parts of, of parenting. Yeah. Yeah,
1: because I feel like, I don't know. I mean, now it's like so many of the influencers project this sort of like image of themselves as experts and like knowing everything and sort of being like good moms. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, Sarah Peterson told me that that whole idea, like what even is a good mom, is like a really loaded term.
2: When you trace back the roots of how we view a quote unquote good mother, it's intrinsically connected to various levels of privilege Um, and how we look at a quote-unquote bad mother or an unfit mother is intrinsically connected to various levels of marginalization. In America, for example, the quote-unquote good mom has historically been white, cishet, non-disabled, thin, adheres to Western beauty standards, is married, has, you know, a certain amount of wealth, And those all come from really toxic, fraught places in history. You know, you can go all the way back to the cult of domesticity, where the rich white lady was at home arranging flowers while mothers of color were maybe taking care of her children. And mothers from lower socioeconomic classes were cleaning her house or buying her food. After the break, what does it take to be a successful momfluencer? The numbers show that, you know, each subsequent pregnancy, they'll see an uptick in followers and really, yes, and an uptick in engagement. That's coming up
0: on Imperfect Paradise. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. You're listening to Imperfect Paradise. This is part four of our series, People vs. Karen. Let's get back to my conversation with Elias reporter Emily Guerin about momfluencers. Emily interviewed writer Sarah Peterson, who wrote the book Momfluenced, inside the maddening picture-perfect world of mommy-influencer culture. And she asked her what it took to be a successful
2: momfluencer. If you think about the typical monetized momfluencer, you know, with like nearly a million followers. She is less likely to be talking about the grittier sides of motherhood and much more likely to be adhering to really femme ideals of motherhood. And, you know, she's getting sponsorship deals and affiliate link opportunities. She's hawking promotional content based on adhering to those ideals. Can you break that part down, what Sarah's talking about, of, like, how do these sponsorship deals
0: look like? You know, what's an affiliate link? Like, what what is she referring to there?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways to make money on Instagram. And one of the ways is through sponsored content. That's where a company pays you to make a post. Sarah gave me an example of a request for a post from the soap
2: company Dawn. Dawn will come to them and say, like, We want one Instagram story, one post, and your kid needs to be in either the story or the post, and we want it to be pegged to Mother's Day. Like, that's all they'll give them. And then Mm. the mom influencer has to write the copy. She sometimes hires a videographer, sometimes hires a makeup artist, a lighting person, a hair person. Um, And then, you know, she'll edit the videos. She'll edit the images. She'll go back and forth with Dawn.
1: Another way to make money is through affiliate marketing. So you promote your product on Instagram or wherever, and then you include a link in your post to a website. And the link tracks whether people who click through actually buy something. And if they do, then the influencer can earn a commission from the sale. Obviously, if you have more followers, you have a better chance of earning that commission. I was curious, like, how many followers the average mom influencer has, because I feel like most of them probably don't have a million followers. And Sarah told me you actually don't need to have that many to be successful, and you can still be really influential and make money with far fewer followers.
2: I've talked to a lot of industry experts who say that micro-influencers are really great in terms of converting people to sales, because sort of, you know, when you're talking about like a million followers are in that ballpark none of those consumers are going to feel like, oh, I know this person. Like, I Mm -hmm. have a really strong parasocial bond with this person. By the way, that term parasocial
1: bond, that's like when you feel like you have a relationship with someone that you only know from the internet and like you actually don't know who they are. It's like a one-way relationship.
2: Whereas if somebody has 17,000 followers and you've been following that person, you know, since she met her partner and since she was pregnant with her first kid before she had any sponsorship deals and she was just recommending things she loved, you're much more likely to trust her recommendations once she is promoting sponsored content and getting paid for the sponsored content, since you've trusted her the whole length of time you've been following her. The numbers show that, you know, each subsequent pregnancy, they'll see an uptick in followers and an-, an Really? Engagement. Yes, and an uptick in engagement. Wow. Like, right around when somebody's due, right around when she's about to post the new baby photo, like numbers consistently stay high in those times. It
0: that just feels kind of dark to me. I don't know. There's something about the like monetizing of your babies that feels very dark capitalist to me.
1: It's pretty weird and I don't know. When Sarah was talking, this example came to mind of this influencer I came across who had this, you know, like horrible thing happen. Like her, she had a kid with a very rare disease and her baby died. And the post, the the, the post she posted when her child died had like tens of thousands of views. And yeah, I mean, I think that just underscores the point that like when you post something really dramatic, it gets a lot of engagement.
0: And it reminds me, obviously... Of Katie Sorensen and why a post about something as horrible as an attempted kidnapping, you know, goes viral. And like those are the moments where, you know, people pay attention. And so in a lot of ways it's like Katie was being rewarded by the internet virality for posting something like that.
2: And actually Sarah talked about that. Vulnerability and quote unquote authenticity, especially now, will get more engagement than a perfectly manicured photo. Well, with Hmm. like a benign caption. So anytime you're sharing something really upsetting or really traumatic, you will get more engagement. That's interesting. I mean, how
1: does that go along, though, with the like wanting to present a sort of perfect like shoppable life, the, the like presenting vulnerability right. or like trauma?
2: Because it provides an entry point for the consumer or the follower to make that parasocial connection. So like if you're looking at Real Simple magazine 10 years ago and there's a beautiful model who has kids and you know she's presenting as a mother in a photo shoot of a beautiful home you might aspire to have her couch for example but you know nothing about that person's humanity and thus you're not going to be sucked into her lifestyle narrative you're not going to want to you're not going to want the couch because this particular person owns the couch and you know Mm -hmm. that they've gone through a really heartbreaking divorce, or you know that they experienced, you know, the death of a parent or the death of a child, and it was really traumatic, and you felt like you experienced that with them. So the instinct to buy and to click is so much higher when there's that parasocial bond than if it's just a faceless, perfect person in a perfect environment.
0: Coming up after the break, the connection between momfluencers and conspiracy theories.
2: I think it's really easy for mothers to disseminate these messages in ways that, like, screaming men on 4chan cannot. That's coming up on
0: Imperfect Paradise. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however, you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 15% better on average compared to other leading e commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI powered all star. Shopify powers 10% of all e commerce in the US. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothies, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash paradise all lowercase go to shopify.com slash paradise now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash paradise the la spring super sweeps is happening now you can win amazing prizes while
1: supporting your source for local fact-based journalism
0: I'm Antonia Serejido. This is part four of our series, People vs. Karen, the story of a Latino couple who was falsely accused of attempted kidnapping by a white woman who is also a momfluencer. According to court documents, the accuser, Katie Sorensen, was consuming online content about conspiracy theories related to child sex trafficking. Reporter Emily Guerin and I were discussing her conversation with writer Sarah Peterson, who wrote a book about momfluencers, and in particular about the relationship between mom influencers and conspiracy theories? And I just like want to understand the connection between momfluencing and conspiracy theories. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question.
1: And I think for Katie and for other moms that were kind of susceptible to this sort of hashtag Save the Children child sex trafficking conspiracy, like I think part of the reason that conspiracy was so popular is because it was itself like a viral moment. Like Save the Children is like... A very sensational story of this thing that rarely happens. And so it got a lot of engagement for the same reason that a vulnerable Instagram post would. And so I think by Katie, like combining her vulnerable post, plus this already sort of sensational, like conspiracy idea, it allowed the two to combine and go viral in like a really new way. And Sarah Peterson told me that she actually watched a lot of women on Instagram over the course of COVID, get deeper and deeper into conspiracies and have their engagement increase
2: at the same time. When I first started researching my book, I had follower accounts for many of the moms that I feature that, you know, follow either QAnon or espouse white supremacy or other conspiracy theories. And by the time I was on my final edit of the book, every single one of those mom momfluencers follower accounts had risen pretty dramatically in those few years. They leaned into the assumed morality of motherhood, specifically white motherhood, as being this thing that they could sort of fall on to support whatever, you know, misinformation or conspiracy theory they wanted to. And often they did so under the guise of, I'm a mother, I want what's best for children, so therefore you must listen to me because I'm a mother and I'm good because I'm a mother.
0: So wait, how are these mom influencers like using like what messaging are they using to spread the conspiracy theories? Like are like are they wiping down a table? <laughs> and if you like listen to the video backwards, it's like believe QAnon or like the, the like dark side of people the moon in Hollywood. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah. But um, how are they spreading their message?
1: They are subtle. That is definitely one thing Sarah Peterson told me is that whether the moms are knowingly spreading false information or not, it's often really subtle and hard to
2: notice. And that, you know, maybe that's by design. So there was this one that I was following who you'd look at her feed and you would just think she was a run of the mill, like style momfluencer. Like all, it was all outfit posts and you could, you know, click whatever. But then once in a while, in the midst of those fairly innocuous shoppable posts, she'll have like a pastel infographic hashtag save the children. And so I think it's really easy for mothers to disseminate these messages in ways that like screaming men on 4chan cannot. I mean, I trust this woman to recommend child-friendly dinner recipes. Like maybe there's something to it.
0: You know, Emily, you got into this story because you yourself have become a mother and you are looking at Momfluencer content online. Like, now that you've done all this reporting, like, how do you feel about that content now? It's funny. I I find myself going back to this one moment
1: during Katie Sorensen's trial when she was on the witness stand and she said her name and she introduced herself to the jury as a mother. Mm. And that was so interesting to me because I felt like what she was trying to do was she was trying to like use their preconceived notions of like her as like a young, pretty white woman, like a good mother, kind of like Sarah was saying at the top, like someone who would do what's right for her children, not someone who would ever falsely accuse someone or knowingly cause harm to anyone. And I think for a long time, women like Katie did get away with that because we do often think of like the sort of young white mother as like the victim or as or as innocent in some ways. And I think the fact that Katie was found guilty was actually really surprising and, um, you know, just not something that I think we've seen a lot of historically. And I wonder if it's going to set a precedent going forward in terms of how we think of uh, moms and and what's a good mother and what mothers can be capable of.
0: Yeah. And the idea of like presumed innocence. Exactly. Yeah. Emily, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you so much for all your amazing reporting on the series. Thanks, Antonia. It's fun to talk to you. That was LAist correspondent Emily Guerin. Next week on Imperfect Paradise, we're introducing you to something new. The first of many to come special episodes dedicated to one of our newsroom investigations. First, we bring you Yu's investigative report into nursing homes in California and the alarming trend she uncovered. Thousands of people with serious mental illness living in facilities not intended to care for mentally ill patients.
2: I've had a patient as young as 19 years old, 22. They ran
1: faster and moved better than I did. They were able to climb fences. They were able to fashion weapons out of things. They were able to do a lot of things.
0: That's coming up on Imperfect Paradise. Listen to new episodes of the podcast every Wednesday or tune in on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. on L.A.S. 89.3 or las.com. This episode of Imperfect Paradise was reported by Emily Garrett. I'm the show's host, Antonia Cerejido. Catherine Mailhouse is the executive producer of the show, and Shayna Naomi-Crockmall is our vice president of podcasts. James Chow produced this episode. Rebecca Katz is our intern. Jens Campbell is our production coordinator. The editor is Sarah Kate Kramer. Fact-checking by Caitlin Antonios. Mixing and theme music by E. Scott Kelly. Additional engineering by Donald Buss. Imperfect Paradise is a production of Elias Studios. This podcast is powered by listeners like you. Support this show by donating now at elias.com slash join. This podcast is supported by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live.
2: This
1: program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round.